Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. Worldwise Learning presents a vision for transformative education, one that allows us to collectively rise from the ashes of trauma and loss caused by recent events. It unpacks what it means to educate in the context of our complex world. While recognizing that globalization has in many cases increased levels of inequality, promoted consumption, and made dominant voices louder, our aim is to consider how we can co-construct humane democratic classrooms within this context. Learning that encourages children to seek solutions to problems they face. Learning that fosters students' social, emotional connection, personal well-being, and reverence for the natural world. Learning that demands students participate actively in their communities. Such learning matters. It is authentic, purposeful, relevant, and engaging. It builds and improves neighborhoods. It prepares learners to navigate an unknown future. Through such teaching, we communicate a key message. To learn is to hope. Learning is a light which can guide us through times of darkness. All right. Welcome to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So great to be back here with you. And uh, I love this, Trisha, because late, uh, earlier this summer, you actually did an entire like month with authors uh, of amazing educational books that we wanted to promote and make sure that educators knew about. And uh, we're back with uh, some more authors today. Elizabeth is going to be joining us. We'll get there first. But Trisha, how are things up in Canada? We just had a beautiful weekend on the West Coast. So that's great. We did. We had a great weekend. We also had Halloween weekend. So that was my, my puppy's introduction to the world of fireworks. Oh um, boy, She's not a fan, but I don't think many <laughs> dogs are. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to be talking about Worldwise Learning, A Teacher's Guide to Shape a just sustainable future. Jeff, in my mind, like the one thing that, well, one of the few things that the pandemic was good for is so many amazing books have come out of um, education this year. I, I feel like this has been a real big, big boon of a year um, for books. And so we are here today, of course, with one of the authors. Um, we we are saying and waving hello to your co-author, Elizabeth, who hopefully is listening to this, but I'm really excited to talk more about this book. Awesome. Elizabeth, thank you for thank you for joining us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and maybe kind of where this sure. book came from. Yes, yeah, so I appreciate you having me on. And uh, Miss Carla being here, it's in the middle of the night in Singapore where she's located. But I'm on the other coast. I'm located in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm a teacher educator at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. This is my 12th year here. And I uh, was at another university in Savannah before that. And then um, prior, I was a fifth grade and kindergarten classroom teacher. So I've been in education for 22 years, more than half my life now, um, and uh, working primarily in the elementary context. Um, I've also worked with different organizations like U.S. Fund for UNICEF, the World Bank Group, Institute for Humane Education, and a host of others who share a common vision of creating a better world through education. Very cool. Talk to us a little bit about this book. Where did this come from? Was this, uh, was this like, almost like Trisha said, we saw a lot of great books come out this last year. And I feel like some of them are like, 
I wonder if they're like COVID projects. Like people are always like, you know, someday when I have time, like where, where did this come from with you and Carla getting together on this? It certainly was not a COVID project. And had I known COVID was coming, I think Carla and I may have put a pause on this. Um, she, so Carla, um, as you probably know, co- co-authored a book, Concept-Based Inquiry and Action uh, with Corwin Press. And I used that book as a core text in my instructional design course. Oh, great. So I met Carla through Twitter. Um, I would I'd tag her on you know, examples when I would use her book in the field and with my students. And we just start having a conversation. And um, she's brilliant, as you know, Tricia said, when we logged in, she's, she's a great thinker and innovative teacher and school leader. And so we just start having these conversations about, um, you know, what the world needs right now, what kind of support teachers need in this really challenging time to be a teacher. And so Carla um, contacted me about December 2019 about co-authoring this book together. And so she had a draft idea. And so we bounced some ideas around. Um, My specialization is in global education. So she brings that concept-based curriculum lens and I bring Mm -hmm. global education together. And then the pandemic hit. (laughs) And so it hit uh, Singapore first and, and then, of course, us in the U.S., and so we really started working on writing um, during school lockdown. We both have children. I'm a teacher, so all our courses shifted online. Yeah. And so it was a really challenging time, but it, at the same time, it really shone a light on the importance of rethinking the purposes of schooling. And so mm. like what really matters, what should we be doing in schools? What kind of world do we need to prepare children for? And so both as teachers and mothers, we kind of, it really helped to shape this book. And so you know, we interviewed dozens of teachers around the world doing this kind of work to, to learn from them and find out, you know, how are they bringing these practices into their different contexts to prepare students for this complex interconnected world where we face so many challenges like climate change and social and economic inequality and a host of others. And so how can we prepare students for this really challenging time that the pandemic kind of shone a light on? And so the premise of the book is to transform schools by creating humanizing spaces that speak to students' interests and lives and lived experiences and concerns so that they can become globally competent. So they have the knowledge, the skills, the attitudes, and the understandings necessary to improve their communities and the world, to help shape a better world, and that schools should have that kind of overarching purpose that that prepare students for the world that they live in today. And then one that's going to become increasingly more challenging. And I'm wondering with that, Elizabeth, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, in terms of who is the book for when you, you know, if you look at the the book description, it's sort of, I feel like anybody who's in education is who it's for, but I wonder if there is kind of an ideal target audience. Um, We're kind of at that point of the year where some schools might be looking at their professional development reading for um, 2022. Um, So who, who do you think in particular, this book really speaks to? The book was written for grades K-8 educators and school leaders, although it's really, you know, a lot of the strategies are flexible. I even use it with adult learners in higher education. But um, given the, the more flexibility that teachers might have in those grade levels as, as compared to secondary, um, of course, but disciplinary teachers can bring these strategies into their practice as well. Um, but we bring in different examples of how to use 
um, local, global, and intercultural issues as or- curriculum organizers. So you'll see in our framework, they're at the very center of the worldwide learning cycle. So how, how to identify issues that students know about, care about, and want to explore and even take action on. And how do these connect to your disciplines and your curriculum? And so um, throughout the book, we, we provide examples of different grade level and cultural contexts to show how to meaningfully address these issues, while at the same time, meeting your standards and your mandates or whatever you have to meet as teachers, um, that you can do this at the same time while making learning purposeful and meaningful for your students. I love that. Can you, uh, and I'm just wondering, like you said, you know, (laughs) you start writing this book and then the pandemic hits and it's like, part of it is, is you're just like, this is why we need this type of learning, right? Like, this is it right here. Like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. And I think we saw that in a lot of places. Can, Can you talk about like, even when you were in it, cause you were teaching as well. And, and so was Carla. Can you just talk about like, how did, wh- how did you see this play out during the pandemic? Did, were teachers willing to take it? Can you, can you talk about maybe examples that you saw come out of this in, in a, during, during the pandemic and then during the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there were so many different conflicting um, challenges with shifting to, to remote learning is I think the one that overwhelmed teachers the most. Sure. Um, I've been trained in just, I teach online classes. I've been trained in this. Um, I have like 12 years of experience of teaching online courses. My heart really went out to veteran teachers who had never taught on Zoom. I mean, it's a totally different modality and way of teaching. Right. Um, and so I think it really highlighted the need to make learning relevant to children because, you know, why should they log in and participate? And so I saw, I have a seven-year-old daughter, so I could see this with her, you know, um, oftentimes school feels so disconnected from their everyday lives and the world that's happening. And a lot of teachers um, did a wonderful job of, of bringing in current events and what was happening during the pandemic and engaging students in thinking about, reflecting on, and connecting to these issues um, at the same time, teaching their their curriculum and, and what was expected of them. But, you know, I think the, the distance learning aspect of the pandemic was the most challenging. A lot of teachers said, you know, half my students never showed up. Right. And so maybe they didn't have internet connection at home or they didn't have parents who were able to support them. And, you know, I was, of course, able to do that. But a lot of a lot of folks didn't have that choice. Yeah. And I, you know, I I think in terms of making sure that learning is relevant for students, I think you're absolutely right. That has to be a priority. And hopefully it's a priority that sticks um, for for a long time. And I, you know, I'm I'm guessing some folks might, you know, pick up the book jacket, read the description and think this would make for an amazing book club text. But often we also need to convince the the people who are in charge of ordering and paying for them. Um, So, uh, you know, for for teachers who are listening and are thinking, I want to make this argument to my administration my school leadership right now. Um, what would you tell them in terms of kind of formulating that argument around why this book right now? You know, what is it about our current context that um, you know this book is is a really wonderful one to bring into school conversations 2021-2022? So I had this opportunity just last week to work with two schools that are using our textbook. So that was exciting. Um, the first schools in uh, North Carolina to pick up our book, and it just came out. 
And so I sent them uh, a survey before I even designed the professional learning because I wanted it to be personalized. I didn't want it to be just one size fits all um, 90 minute seminar. And so I surveyed the 90 teachers and they, they all want learning to be practical and engaging and meaningful. And so Carl and I really emphasize the practicality of this because um, global education is is multidimensional and complex, and there are many different terms used. Even in North Carolina, our professional learning standards use global learning in multiple ways, but they don't really define or contextualize what that, what that what that even means. So true. Um, you know, and so I think teachers think global education just because of the wording means learning about faraway places that are disconnected. Mm-hmm from their local context. And, and that's not true. You know, you begin with the local and you begin with your students and you help them make connections to the broader world by starting with the local and contextualizing it. And so um, leading this seminar last week with these teachers, they were really hungry for professional development that was meaningful. And I got a lot of good feedback on, you know, what they need and why it's important. And a lot of them um, feel this, this great pressure to catch their students up, you know, after the pandemic that they're quote unquote behind, sure. which I, you know, have some disagreement with. Um, but I think it calls us to re-examine what we're teaching, you know, starting with the, the content itself and, you know, what matters and then how can you connect what matters with, you know, developing your curriculum centered on your students and what's happening in the world. And so, um, you know, the administrators and the teachers were really on board to rethink their curriculum, their standard curriculum. A lot of scripted um, package curricula is ha- you know, being um, purchased across the United States right now in particular to catch these students up. And um, it, st- teachers are really asking, you know, how can I make this relevant, this package curriculum that's from another state, you know, d- designed in Texas, to teach to my students here in rural North Carolina and how mm-hmm. can I connect this to them? So, um, so it really, I think speaks to making learning relevant by if you center the curriculum on your students and go from there is really what we're calling for. I think you, you know, you said so many great things. And I think one of the things that, that, as you were talking that I keep coming down to is I think where we are right now in education is this idea of purpose. Mm -hmm. I think coming out of the pandemic and where we are is like, everybody's trying to figure out, like, again, we're reevaluating what is our purpose? What is the purpose of second grade? What is the purpose of fourth grade? And we have, you know, we're hearing again and again that people are going back and looking at standards and all of a sudden actually looking at that you can't cover 195 math standards in 180 days. And so what's the purpose of math, right? Exactly. You talked a little bit about a framework. Can you kind of maybe explain what's the framework that you use um, that kind of like solidifies uh, this approach? So Carl and I conducted a literature review before we even, you know, designed the chapters. So we wanted to make sure the framework was solid and aligned with, you know, existing bodies of research. And so there are already a lot of global education frameworks that are out there that are really great. You know, um, Asia Society has one that I use in my courses um, as just one example. But what we wanted to do was to design a framework that highlights the content centered on, of course, what we mentioned, students' lives, lived experiences, passions, and the broader world and what's happening currently in this current day. Um, And then giving them 
a way to engage their students through an inquiry cycle that we call connect, understand, and act. Mm -hmm. So um, a a huge focus of our book is creating the conditions for transformative learning. So that's in in the opening part of the book that learning should be centered on the whole student. So social emotional learning is integral to academic learning, for example. So we need to develop student self-awareness and social awareness and understanding others' perspectives before we engage in understanding and taking action on these issues. And so through that cycle of connect, understand, and act, we developed, we've developed students holistically, knowledge, understanding, skills, dispositions, their competency, in order to prepare them to deeply understand these issues, identify uh, not just symptoms, but root causes and leverage points that they can identify has to be actionable. And that speaks again to the practicality of this kind of learning. Um, You can't teach students in kindergarten about climate change, for example, that's too abstract, um, too daunting. It's not developmentally appropriate. So you have to identify ways to connect this to your students Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's got to begin with that connection. I love that. So I, I know Carla personally, and I know that, oh. you know, in terms of reading and researching, you know, she's just like a, a powerhouse. I, <laughs> I think she would agree with that description. And I'd love to know a little bit more about kind of the research highs and lows as you experience them. Just, you know, what was that process like? And as you look yeah. back on that research, like, what do you, what are you thinking like this moment in the research process will stick with me for years to come? Yeah. So I thought about that. Um, when going through this whole process of a, a year plus um, writing a book with someone else, which I'd never done before, you know, there's a lot of give and take and idea sharing and um, coming to agreement about what truly matters most. So Carla and I, we had, you know, dozens of Google Docs where we were conducting our literature review. Half of each chapter is sort of a synthesis of the literature and like, why are these strategies research grounded? Why do they mm-hmm. work? How do they reflect the science of learning, for example? Um, And so when we were going through this process, we decided early on that we needed to capture the the key ideas visually as well as through written text. And so early on, we hired a wonderful illustrator, Chris Gadberry, who was able to visually depict the research ideas that we wrote about. And that was sort of like a a turning point for us in the writing process. If we were going to synthesize and summarize these ideas in a chapter on perspective taking, what does that look like? Um, So we wanted to find ways to capture this graphically. And so I'll share um, just an example from our research process. So working in um, chapter four, for example, was on perspective taking. And I was looking for ways which is very complex and I don't have a background in psychology. So, you know, I was reading all these, you know, all the literature and trying to think about how can I make this relatable and meaningful for teachers. And so I came across this analogy called the writer and the elephant that we, that we have in that chapter from a social psychologist to explain the role of emotions on learning. So we wanted to capture that idea that oftentimes when we're taking perspectives and sharing Um, divergent ideas or perspectives in the classroom that strong emotions can take over, for example. So I found this analogy from this psychologist of the rider and the elephant. So if you imagine this six-ton elephant and how large, that represents the emotional side of the brain. 
And then the rider is the more rational cognitive side of the brain. So the elephant, of course, is much larger and it can take over the rider. And so I knew right away that Chris could capture that visually in his illustration, which he did beautifully, and apply this to the learning context. So in the classroom, you know, students can have strong emotions and get heated and the, the elephant can take over the rider. So um, I think that part of the research process I'll take with me forever. You know, mm -hmm. when I'm teaching my students, if I had to pare down a three-hour class session, what are my three main big ideas and how can I represent them so they can remember? Oh, I love that. And working with an artist was great for that because Chris... Um, we only sent him little snippets of each chapter. We didn't expect him to have the time to read all of our writing. So we right. had to really like extract the main ideas from each chapter so that he could then illustrate them. That's fantastic. Mm. So and, great. You know, I, I'm just also still going back to what you said at the start that, you know, this book kind of started via Twitter that, you know, yes. you, you and Carla were not, you know, in the same physical We've space. We've never met. You've never met. And We've I'm never guessing met. You weren't in the same space with your illustrator either. Is that right? I found him on a teach SDGs tag. I'd I've not met Chris either. And I reached out to him and said, we were looking for an illustrator. I loved his style. I'd seen like his sketch notes from different um, teach SDGs conferences or in, you know, in the PYP world or something. And I reached out to him and I said, you're, I was hoping he'd say yes. And he said, you know, I was really busy because I talked to him the other day and he said, I almost said no, because we're like amazed this book actually came to fruition after the hard year and a half we've all had. Sure. And um, he said, I almost said no, but I really believed in the importance of your book. Mm. And so he was also facing what he's a teacher. He has a child at home in virtual learning, just like I did. And he took the time at night and all these moments that he had could find and, um, dedicated himself to that. And so I'm eternally grateful for that because he really enhanced the book tremendously. Well, congratulations to all three of you for getting the book out into the world <laughs> under yeah. those circumstances. It's, it's um, no it does feel theme, good. You know. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and sort of just to wrap things up, uh, you know, the book is out there. We, of course, will link over to it in the show notes. Great books, leave readers with great questions. Your book's going to do that for sure. What are a few of those good questions that you hope educators are going to be left wondering, thinking about? Perhaps they don't answer them, but they'll be mulling them over. Yeah, I think going back to, to what Jeff said about the purpose, like focusing on the why or the purpose, um, how can we rethink our roles and our purposes as educators um, and, and look to the broader world to think about what are we preparing students for? And does our curriculum speak to that? And is it humane? You know, are our classroom humane spaces where students feel seen and valued? And so we really emphasize like creating democratic classrooms. So, you know, how can you rethink your purpose and prepare students for this world? And how can our classrooms really be microcosms of the world we want to create? What kind of world do we want to shape? Because education plays a tremendous role, as we all know, in shaping that world. So, one of the earliest um, TED Talks I ever saw was Zoe Wiles, The World Becomes What You Teach, mm. you know, from 10 years ago. And I saw that talk and it really changed my life. And I ended up being on the board of Institute for Humane Education because I so believe in their mission. And so just getting back to that question, like how can your classroom and, and your role as a teacher help shape this world? Because the world does become what we teach. 
That's so great. And I think that fits, you know, perfect, perfectly with, you know, part of our, one of our taglines is how do we make sure we're preparing students for their future, not our past. And and that's Mm. what we're talking about. And, Mm. you know, I think a lot of what we're struggling with right now in education, I mean, a, the pandemic's not over, we're still struggling with masks and social distancing. And that that's the day-to-day stuff that teachers are struggling with. But over top of that, there is this overarching kind of question of what is the purpose? What is our purpose? How are we making sure? And we're, I mean, even if you just look at things like the, the world of work is forever uh-huh. going to be changed. You're hearing still from businesses who are negotiating with employees on working from home versus right. the office. That was nothing we were before the pandemic. We weren't talking about negotiating how much time you're in the office. You just went mm-hmm. to the office. Right. And I think the same thing's happening in education. I think we're just, we're really getting back to like, okay, what is the purpose? What do we want kids to leave with? And, and that's, I think this overarching kind of weight that, that teachers are feeling now besides just the day-to-day masks and, you know, kids haven't been back in the classroom in two years, <laughs> you know, there's just the day-to-day stuff, but there's also this, just this overarching weight that okay. I think we're all kind of feeling on, okay, how do we, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, right. and, you know, it wasn't a perfect system before we know that we know kids were being left behind before, it's, it's not a perfect system now. How do we make it a better system, right? And I think that's part of like not wanting to, you hear this all the time, I don't want to quote unquote, go back to the way things were because I think we're all in this idea of like, okay, we've got to make this better coming out the other side. So, that's And that's great. really how we close the book. Chapter nine is on looking inward at yourself as an educator. So what are the practices that we need to do of, you know, visualizing the kind of students we hope to prepare and thinking about, you know, again, how can my curriculum prepare them to be these human beings in the world that we hope for? Mm, I love that. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to be here with us. Again, the book is Worldwise Learning, uh, and we will make sure that there are links all over the place in the newsletter, uh, in the show notes to the podcast, places that you can go and find it as well. So thank you for taking time uh, to be here with us and excited for for others to get out there, read the book. Uh, If people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to be able to connect with you? Thanks. Um, I'm on Twitter, of course. So um, Teach Global Ed is my, my, um, handle (laughs) and my email address is Crawford E at uncw.edu. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Elizabeth. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.